is bound to be short-lived. So it was with Reagan. But what is the essence of that reality in the American case? If we do not actually live in a world made by Reagan, just as the Soviets did not actually live in a world made by Marx, what is the true nature of our actual existing world? An evolutionary economist knows where to look for the answer to such a question, at institutions. In the American setting, once one starts to do that, it becomes immediately clear that the fundamental public institutions of American economic life were those created by public action in an earlier generation, by Franklin D. Roosevelt in the New Deal in World War II, by Lyndon Johnson in the Great Society, and, to a degree, by Richard Nixon, and that these institutions have, to a large extent, survived to the present day. But if they have survived, obviously they have not survived undamaged. The catastrophe of Hurricane Katrina pointed to two types of damage. One was an erosion of capability, evinced in this case by the failure of the Army Corps of Engineers to maintain the levees protecting New Orleans to a standard sufficient to withstand a Category 3 hurricane, which is all that Katrina actually was by the time it came ashore. This kind of erosion presupposes nothing about intent. It can and does happen simply because of resource constraints, misjudgments, accidents of politics, and history. We see this sort of erosion far and wide in American government, but repairing it is characteristically thought to be mainly a matter of dedication, competence, time, and money. But Katrina, and especially the aftermath of the disaster, also illustrated a second and more serious sort of rot in the system. This I will call predation. The systematic abuse of public institutions for private profit, or, equivalently, the systematic undermining of public protections for the benefit of private clients. The deformation of the Federal Emergency Management Agency into a dumping ground for cronies under the government of George W. Bush, heck of a job, brownie, captured the essence of this phenomenon. But so too does the practice of turning regulatory agencies over to business lobbies, the privatization of national security, and the attempted privatization of social security, the design of initiatives in Medicare to benefit drug companies, and trade agreements to benefit corporate agriculture at the expense of subsistence farmers in the third world. In each case, what we see is not, in fact, a principled conservative's drive to minimize the state. It is a predator's drive to divert public resources to clients and friends. This seemed to me to have become the reality underlying the myth, and the second part of the book is devoted to sketching it out. Finally, in a book like this, there always comes the question of what should be done. I chose to restrict myself to three very basic ideas. Having spent much of my career as a policy advisor, admittedly often to quixotic contenders for high public office, I could have written much more in this part. But I chose these three ideas in part because they struck me as being the most despised, the most dangerous, the hardest to get across, and therefore the most important of all the essential points that might be offered here. The three ideas are, for all that, quite simple. First, because markets cannot and do not think ahead, the United States needs a capacity to plan. 
To build such a capacity, we must, first of all, overcome our taboo against planning. Planning is inherently imperfect, but in the absence of planning, disaster is certain. Second, the setting of wages and the control of the distribution of pay and incomes is a social and not a market decision. It is not the case that technology dictates what people are worth and should be paid. Rather, society decides what the distribution of pay should be, and technology adjusts to that configuration. Standards, for pay but also for product and occupational safety, and for the environment, are a device whereby society fashions technology to its needs. And more egalitarian standards, those that lead to a more just society, also promote the most rapid and effective forms of technological change, so that there is no trade-off in a properly designed economic policy between efficiency and fairness. Third,